Join me in prayer this afternoon for the preaching and hearing of the word. Father, it is so good to be in your house today and to be able to come into here and to just worship you and to praise you for just who you are. Lord, this afternoon as we get ready for the preaching of the word by our brother Paul and for the rest of us who hear the word preached, I just pray first of all for, for our brother Paul and just pray that you will just be with him throughout the entire message and that you will ease any anxiety and ease any nerves that may be there. And Lord, I just pray that you will just remind him that it was you who have prepared him for this week and prepared him for this time. And I just pray, God, that as he preaches, that if your spirit will just be upon this time. And Father, we are so thankful that we are able to just be here to be able to hear the word preached. And I just pray that for all of us that we will tune out any distractions of the week, any words, just anything that might just interfere with us being able to hear what it is that you have to say through our, through our brother Paul. And I just pray, God, that you will just bless this time, that you will bless the preparation that Paul has done this past week. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Good afternoon, church. Let us rise for the reading of God's Word. Our primary passage for today is Matthew 6, 16 through 18. After we read it together, I will proclaim, This is the Word of the Lord, after which I invite you to respond in heartfelt gratitude. Thanks be to God. Let us read. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and that their fasting may be seen by others. Surely I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, when I first was asked to come and preach, I knew I would preach a topical sermon, but I wasn't sure what the focus should be. One could mine scripture for the truth on countless particular subjects, but what may be particularly beneficial to this particular body at this particular time? As I considered this question, I concluded that I don't necessarily know the answer to that. However, However, as we often know our own sin better than any other, I ask myself, what do I need to repent of? Where am I lacking? Where can I grow in godliness? As the preacher for you this afternoon, I wish to be used as a tool by the Spirit for your sanctification. And so I have prayed leading up to this, that you all will be blessed by the fruit of our Lord revealing to me my own weakness. So it is that I come to preach to this body today about the spiritual discipline fasting. No doubt most of us have some knowledge or experience with fasting in a Christian context. Scripture is replete with examples of men and women fasting throughout the entire history of God's people. It is impossible to read even the Gospels without taking note of of the fasts of both John the Baptist 
as well as Christ himself. Most believers at least know what the word means, for one can hardly read scripture without frequently encountering it. Even so, I would like to begin with a definition. Fasting is the practice of abstaining from something or things, usually food, for a period of time. As many of us know, breakfast is called such because you're breaking a fast. For some period of time, while you are asleep, you do not eat, and so that fast is broken and you eat that morning meal. For Christians, fasting is for the purpose of heightening the spiritual senses so that we may better pray or demonstrate repentance. I love how John Calvin himself phrases it in his institutes. Calvin presents three purposes for the practice of fasting. One, to mortify and subdue the flesh. Two, to prepare the better for prayer and holy meditation. Three, to give evidence of humbling ourselves before God when we were to confess our guilt before him. As mentioned earlier, fasting has been the practice of God's people throughout history. I won't believe you with too many examples, but I feel it necessary to give at least a few. Here, when David's child was with, Bath with Bathsheba, was dying, we read in 2 Samuel 12, 16, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. When the armies of the Moabites and Ammonites were marching against Judah, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3 tells us how Judah's king responded. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. When Joel was called to instruct the religious leaders in Judah in repentance, he is told in Joel 1.14, Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. When Jonah proclaims God's coming judgment against Nineveh, in Jonah 3 verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. After Jesus is baptized, he begins to fast. Matthew 4, verse 1 through 2. Then Jesus was lit, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And finally, when Barnabas and Paul returned from Jerusalem to Antioch, the book of Acts, 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were there, worshiping with the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I purposely chose these particular examples, for they represent fasting in a variety of contexts and for a variety of purposes. They also cover the breadth of Scripture. Fasting did not cease to be a practice of God's people when Christ is on earth, nor after he descended. And so, we would expect to see this practice continue until now, and Scripture tells us as much, returning to our primary passage. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I will come back to our passage more later, but for now, I want to drive home that this passage constitutes a command to the church, at least in a general sense. Here, Christ is telling his apostles the manner in which they ought to fast, 
But notice that he assumes that they will. For he says not if you fast, but when you fast. For Christ is unthinkable that they wouldn't. If we are to emulate the example of the apostles, as they emulate the example of our Lord, it should be unthinkable that this practice would be utterly absent from our own lives. Brothers and sisters, it pains me to admit that fasting is so neglected amongst the Protestant churches. I myself have been guilty of criticizing other Christian traditions, for example, for participating in Lent. How dare they, I think to myself, make a show of fasting, act the direct defiance of Christ's command to do so in secret. They must think they're so holy and righteous. I would surely never do something so arrogant. Surely I would never be so full of pride. Brothers, even if my assessment were correct, which it most certainly was not, I assure you, even if it was correct, how dare I have the audacity to criticize how other believers fast when I never once ever fasted myself, ever. I know for a fact that there are those in this congregation who have developed this discipline, and I praise our Lord for that. But if you, like me, crafted an idol of pride in the way I've described, I urge you to shatter it and repent before our Lord, praying and, yes, fasting, to demonstrate that repentance before him, knowing that he will forgive you. He has made you that promise. I'll restate this plainly. If you have never fasted or even considered it, you have no place speaking to how others do. For what does our Lord say? Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not, that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, if we are to develop this discipline... It is important that we make distinctions between different purposes for fasting. And I'll return now to those purposes Calvin helpfully provides. Fasting helps to mortify and subdue the flesh. What does this mean? Remember that food is lawful to eat. It is necessary, and it is a good gift from God. However, it is a need of the flesh. And what does the Lord say about food? That we shall not live by bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, fasting is not the word of God, but an important principle is established here that is relevant to fasting. We are physical and spiritual beings. Physical food simply cannot sustain our needs, cannot completely sustain our needs. We must not be slaves to our appetites. We must master our bodies, but the flesh would not have too great a hold on us. If there is any lawful, worldly thing, be it food, television, video games, etc., that begins to interfere with your duties and obligations, or simply holds too great a level of importance in your heart, fasting from that thing will help you. I will make a short aside in regard to what I call the lawful, worldly things. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. There are many things which we have liberty to enjoy and partake in, 
but are not necessarily the best use of our time. I've mentioned a couple already. As these things are not, in and of themselves, sinful, they're lawful. We ought not to make to fast from sinful things, as we never ought to partake in those things to begin with. So when Scripture speaks of fasting, we understand it is from lawful things. When we do relinquish those things for a time, it may be painful, and that is when it is most necessary. You will be reminded that the one on whom you must truly depend is God. He will be your joy and your sustenance, and he will provide your daily bread. Calvin says that fasting in this particular way is more suited to private use, for we all have our own vices, but also our own constitutions. So I will make the point here, if it is not obvious, there are limitations. We are not to starve ourselves. And some would be put in serious danger if they were to fast from food due to sickness or weakness. The aim is never to harm ourselves in some twisted penance, but to, again, mortify and subdue the flesh. Fasting prepares us the better for prayer and holy meditation. Calvin makes the point that this end of fasting is common to both personal and corporate. Both in, most individuals and the church, both individuals and the church have need from time to time to devote themselves to prayer for important occasions. Earlier, I quoted Acts 13, which is an example of this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We see here that the Holy Spirit himself is telling the church to set apart Saul, also known as Paul, and Barnabas to a special work that he has for them to accomplish. So what is the response of the church? To cover these brothers in prayer. And because fasting helps to heighten our spiritual senses, as we put off worldly needs to meditate on higher things, fasting becomes a help to prayer. And so that they may pray better for Paul and Barnabas, the others fasted in addition to prayer. In congruity with this passage, it is a practice in some churches to consecrate the particular events with prayer and fasting. When men are ordained as elders, they're accepting a heavy and necessary burden. Such events should drive us to prayer for the benefit of these men as they carry out the work of the gospel. Any important event calls for prayer, and so any important event can rightly call for fasting as a help to that prayer. After Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, Scripture tells us that he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Have you ever wondered why? Why would Jesus fast? For surely he had the greatest prayer life possible. I could not possibly exhaust what Scripture has to say there, but I will say this. Jesus was and is the God-man. He is truly God, yes, but also truly man. Men have limitations, and Christ, as a man, was subject to these. For Scripture tells us in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Christ was consecrating the beginning of his holy work with fasting and prayer, but also he knew the devil would be there to tempt him. Earlier I said that fasting can be a help to mortify and subdue the flesh. 
And so I believe that Christ fasted in part so that he would be better able to resist the worldly temptations of the devil. The devil tempts us as well. So we ought to follow our Lord's example, fasting and rightly wielding the sword of truth. That is God's word. I want to take a moment to emphasize that we need not necessarily wait for important events or crises in order to fast or pray. Scripture gives us countless warnings to be wary when our lives are going well, at least in our own eyes. Proverbs 18.11 tells us, A rich man's wealth is a strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. There's nothing wrong with wealth per se. We can only give what we have after all, and so we rely on God's blessing in order to bless others. But we ought to continue praying even when he, we believe our needs are met. And fasting can be a help to that, honing our focus on higher things. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 tells us, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Lastly, fasting gives evidence of humbling ourselves before God. When we confess our guilt before him, again, Calvin makes the point that this would be common to both private and corporate use, as both individuals as well as groups participate in repentance. This is perhaps the most straightforward kind of fasting when initially comes to my own mind when I hear the word. The image of one rending their clothing, putting on sackcloth and ashes, and throwing themselves on the ground before God is a very powerful image. And we do see examples of this in Scripture, of course, such as the repentance of the city of Nineveh after they heard the word of God, warning of them of the coming judgment. I referenced this earlier, but I will here read the whole of Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but, lest, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may yet turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw that what they did how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Here we see the people of Nineveh call for a fast before word even reaches the king. But once it does, the king issues a decree that all men, but not even all men, every beast, should not eat food or even drink water. For their sin was so great that they must repent greatly. Notice that he takes personal responsibility first, however. Immediately after rising from his throne, he removed his own robe, putting on sackcloth and ashes. 
I'll make another short side here. Fathers and husbands, if there is sin in your home, especially if it is your own, take responsibility over that situation. Repent and pray that God would deal with your own sin so that you can rightly call for repentance in your own households. Back to the text, though. We do see that God recognizes the response of the people of Nineveh as legitimate and relents of his judgment, extending mercy to sinners as they evidence their repentance of their wicked deeds. If any of us sin, we may and should, at least occasionally, fast as an outward indicator of our repentance. Of course, God sees the heart, but it is right that our actions match the condition of our heart. It is right that the tax collector should beat his own breast when he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let us likewise respond in our own repentance. There's one more interesting point to be made here. We see the repentance made here is very public. It is exuberant, extreme, and out in the open. The tendency, as I've seen in Protestant churches, is to err on the side of caution. Very often reference are Christ's words regarding fasting, which I'll repeat again here. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. But we still see that Nineveh's repentance and fasting were accepted by God. How do we reconcile this? The answer is relatively straightforward. First of all, corporate fasting cannot, by nature, be secret. This does not give one license to make a spectacle of themselves, nor to do this insincerely. But if a people recognize their collective corporate sin, it is understandable that the greater the sin, the greater the act of repentance will be. It is right that they would mightily call out to God for mercy as a people. I do not make this point because I believe many here would struggle with it, but we should note when we read about the incidents of public fast in Scripture, their actions are not incongruent with Christ's teaching. It is, of course, still advisable, when possible, to fast in secret, so that we may not be tempted to seek the praise of men, but be obedient to God. Now, there are some practical matters to address, especially with respect to fasting from food or water. There are simply those with a weaker constitution, for one reason or another. We are not to be putting ourselves in harm's way in order to fast. If you are such a one, you may simply choose to fast from other things. God recognizes our limitations and does not hold those against us. It is also important not to overdo it. Remember that one of the purposes of fasting is to heighten the spiritual senses. However, if you push your limits too far, you may even hallucinate. In other religions, this is actually a practice to invite visions, evil spirits, and the like. At that point, you are not only in physical danger, but spiritual, as your guard is down and your perception may be warped. Understand that I am not speaking of demonic possession, for the Holy Spirit will surely not share his dwelling with another. But evil spirits may still influence us, and part of spiritual warfare is keeping our guards up against such things. That said, there is nothing wrong with a more intense fast. We see multiple people in Scripture fast for as long as 40 days, Lord included. We see others who fast for a time for both food and water. Whether a fast is more extreme due to the length 
or of the particular things being abstained from, if you are able to manage it, that is a good thing worth partaking in. For most, however, it is better to start small. A simple fast from food alone for a day is praiseworthy and a good place to start. When those pains of hunger come, redirect that hunger toward prayer. I promise that it will be beneficial to you. And if you know not what to pray for, you may pray for others. There are several members of our own body suffering from COVID and other illnesses as I speak. I praise God that you are already praying for their swift recoveries. And as fasting is a betterment for prayer, consider it so that it may do good to others as well. Remember, too, that it is a spiritual discipline. Disciplines are developed over time. A habit is not born overnight, but over many days and nights. Like a muscle, it becomes more defined and consistent with exercise. Despise not the day of small beginnings. That is why I advise you to start small and simple. I say this as a comfort to those like myself who struggle with regret. Part of the good news, however, is that we can actually truly repent by the power of the Spirit within us. We actually have the freedom and ability to do good deeds the Lord has prepared for us to perform. Be encouraged, my brothers and sisters, for we have much to be thankful for. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have blessed us with every good thing in your Son. Everything we have has been given to us by you. But we are still weak, still dependent on the needs of the flesh. Lord, grant us the spiritual discipline of fasting, that we may strengthen our spirits and look toward the heavens. For those of us who are learning, please be patient with us as we stumble out of darkness and toward the light. May we develop a habit and a life of prayer and fasting so that we may not see you through a glass darkly, but more clearly, day by day. Remind us when we abstain from the temporal for the sake of the eternal, that we are putting away finite things for the infinite. We thank you, Lord, for this gift. Let us fast in this life, for there will be a day, there will come a day when the bride will reunite with her bridegroom forevermore. And on that day we will feast, and fasting will come to an end. Amen.